Hello and welcome to Shadow and Wisdom, a Percy Jackson podcast. My name is Katie, and I'm here with my best friend and co-host Frankie. Hey everyone! Hello, and it is time, finally, after over a week, well not over a week, exactly a week, since the finale dropped, to finally discuss the last two episodes of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, season one on Disney+. Plus. I'm hyped. I'm sure Frankie's hyped. So let's hop right into it. Frankie, what did you think of these last two episodes? This is going to be chaotic because, as we've mentioned, Katie and I have been taking notes throughout these via our Tumblr um, accounts. We've been live vlogging, and so that's been how we've been keeping track of what happened in each episode. We were unable to really do that these past couple, so... We're just going to be going off of what we (laughs) really, really feel like talking about. Um, Okay, to start, episode 7. There's been a lot of mixed reviews. Some people really didn't like it. Some people thought it was a really good exploration of the underworld. I think it's a mixed bag of both. I can see both sides. The one argument I, I don't agree with is... A lot of people were really upset with how they handled the Krusty's situation. And I understand the the overall argument is that they keep almost telling and not showing. Like, the heroes haven't really had to figure anything out. Which I feel like the biggest time I had an issue with that was Episode 6, The Lotus Casino. Episode 7. Yes. Episode 7. I completely agree with how they handled the crusty situation because we had 45 minutes to go through the underworld and we didn't have time for all three of them to get trapped in a bed and then get untrapped and then they kill him. I've thought if there was one monster they should do that with, it was Krusty's because it just had to save time. I was, that's what I was hoping they would do with this one. I, I understand the, the, critique there overall like I do think that throughout the show they needed to have the kids figure out more on their own instead of just immediately knowing it I think that is one of the biggest critiques I've seen with people and I agree with that critique but I don't think it applied to this episode just because simply they did not have enough time to go through that whole crusty sequence so that's what I wanted to start off talking about is I actually think that for that one specific instance I totally agree I think you just need to get to the underworld in that one episode right I see where they're coming from and that I agree it's emblematic of the bigger problem. Mm-hmm. However, I agree. I think they should have cut it completely, to be honest. Same. Just like, find a way around it. Don't do crusties. We didn't need it. Mm-hmm. I think there could have been... a. I think that, honestly, from the Lotus Hotel and Casino, I think that if they had gone to the pier to meet that um, Nereid, um that it should have come from there and they just go straight from the pier and it's like okay you're you're in the underworld now like find find a solution at the end of episode six that right they can then just go straight into it episode seven because that's what i think chopped the flow up a little bit was just having percy walk in and be like i know what you are and i know there's a door to the underworld here and and then just that's where you really hit you're hitting on the telling and not showing when you do Mm -hmm. things that's one of the things that I think you do have to take out with this adaptation and I saw a lot of people almost find the in my opinion the wrong reason for why they didn't like the scene they're like no there needed to be more of it there wasn't enough they didn't they jumped over so much in the scene and I was like 
I think you gotta cut the scene completely, like you said. Yeah, and there are other ways in which I felt like this episode was a little bit of a hot mess, in that Mm. I kind of felt like this episode was where the pacing issues really came to a head. Yeah. And they... They did a really good job in episode 8 saving themselves from that, which we'll discuss. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Ares fight being in there with the Luke fight worked a lot better than I thought it would. I will mm-hmm. eat crow with that. We said we didn't think it should be combined. It ended up working, I think, because of the really longer well. runtime of that episode. However, things I liked. Let's start with the positive. Do a positive, yeah. negative, positive sandwich, mm-hmm. shall we? Yeah. Um, Hades. I loved Hades. Loved Not him. only would this Hades a thousand percent father Nico D'Angelo. I was just gonna say, mm-hmm, yep, that's Nico's father. <laughs> but also, they threw a little 1997 Hercules Hades in there, and I'm like, I love that he's a fast talker, a negotiator, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, I see what you're doing, and I appreciate it. Because that's just correct. Hades is, it, despite the whole Persephone drama where he has to kidnap his future wife, like, despite that, and I know it's bad when you have to date despite kidnapping, but the Greek gods did a lot of awful, awful things. That oh, yeah, we have Zeus here. On the grand scheme, Hades kidnapping his future wife is honestly, like, the best thing that a Greek god has ever done. Um... And so besides that one instance, like, Hades is one of the chillest gods in all of mythology. He just, he's so chill. He just doesn't care. Just just give him the souls of the dead and let him chill out in his palace. Like, and they nailed that. They they did really well at just being like, this guy doesn't care about the family drama. He doesn't want any part of it. He's just, <laughs> he wants the bolt at the end because he's like, damn, my father who ate me is coming back. I need some extra protection. But until then, he's just like, give me my helm back. I don't like being stolen from. And then get out. I will even, I'll give you protection as well. Like, I'll even protect you. <laughs> Yeah, I I like him. And I someone pointed out, and this is a little sad um, nod to book readers, is Hades offering Percy and Grover his protection and Sally his protection at the end. He does the same thing for Nico and Bianca and Hazel throughout their journeys. And unfortunately, we know how it turns out for Nico and Bianca and their mother before they could accept it. But um, I think that that was a really cool nod of like, carrying over some of that book character as well just being like he he he's not at war with children <laughs> no he always see- has the most level head with the demigods i think because he's so much more connected to the mortal world given his position and he doesn't have, he- he's so connected with death he's like life is too short even though he's an immortal he literally the reason nico is so able to become Again, guys, spoilers if you haven't read these books, but we've said it so many times. The reason Nico becomes an ambassador for Rome is because he and Hades start to build an actual, like, like, he lives with Hades in the underworld, basically, before he starts, like, living at camp. Like, he basically lives with Hades in the underworld. Like, they have the best relationship, almost, out of all of Any the kids and their father. child. In this series. It's, and it's also, I just want to get into a quick, it's not a rant, but a quick thing that I've also wanted to mention, which I'll bring up again when we start talking about more of the book-focused things in later episodes, but, like, a lot of people say that Nico 
has more raw power than Percy, and I think that their raw power is tied. I think that, or I think Percy's raw power is a little higher. I think Nico's is a little lesser. But people often forget Percy was winging it, learning his powers for so many years, and then Nico was trained in like mm. by by the Ghost King. He was trained in the underworld. I just always think that's something to bring up and I'm going to say that yet on like a podcast I just want to be like the reason Nico grows into his powers real quick is because he legitimately Hades sat that boy down and like he lives in the underworld like it's like if Poseidon brought Percy back to the to his underwater palace and was like let's train for a couple of months it's like it's just always an interesting take that I haven't gotten to talk about yet but we can get back to the episode now I just wanted to bring that up no totally valid and not enough people talk about it mm-hmm. like he was trained by the ghost like a ghost himself what other demigods could say that right it's like Percy didn't get training from other like sons of Poseidon and other like sea creatures like he had to figure that out Nico was out here chilling with ghosts at age 11 feeding them McDonald's <laughs> but <laughs> which by the way I've always wanted to know how he how he just figured out and McDonald's will do like <laughs> it's so good uh but anyway back to the back to the episode yes Hades was a standout for me in that episode and the other standout if we are talking about all of our pros of that episode 100 percent, 110 percent Poseidon scene with Sally oh my gosh I was gonna save that for the end and do a few smaller things before uh, like a few smaller points yeah but yes we can I was just if I'm thinking about absolute pros from episode seven that is the main thing that just jumps to my Forget mind. prose. That scene was poetry. <laughs> just that scene was not even kidding. That scene was like almost it belonged in like a movie that could win like an Oscar. An, an Oscar. Like that scene. Yes. Just that scene belonged in a movie. Like a two and a half hour long movie that has that sort of writing and prose and like drama around it and it's Oscar worthy type. Like that it was just so well done. Uh are we talking about it now straight up or are we just gonna Let's just skip? go for it. Okay. <laughs> Poseidon being offered the chance to speak to Percy and Oh my god, he's such a good freaking actor. Him being given the chance. Uh, Toby Stevens is has all has been one of my favorite actors since Black Sails. And his his facial um acting is so good. You can see so much pain, so much heartache in the smallest gestures. He wants to go see his son and talk to his son, and then lightning strikes in the background. And it's so smart how they did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love how soft-spoken he is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because but still I commanding. Was, because he played Captain Flint, right? Yep. In Black Sails. Mm-hmm. What I'm picturing mm-hmm. is like a much more loud, no. No. Similar to Poseidon. He's, yes, he has a very commanding but soft-spoken presence. I like it for Poseidon. That's interesting I do too. that it's similar. Um, he... Because you don't think of it as being a pirate thing, but I like that. He doesn't command through volume. He commands through just his presence. And because of Mm. that, he can be very, it's in his tone. He almost doesn't have to shout to be heard, you know, if he speaks. 
you shut up and you listen and he's and that regard, so good at that perfect choice to play a god yes i mean a thousand percent but i love how because you would expect the god of the sea to be like and he's not like this in the books but i was wondering if they were gonna have him be very loud and almost aggressive and just like you know represent because the sea is chaotic and powerful mm -hmm. and strong and he's the god of the sea and the sea does not like to be restrained, and yep. which he said, mm, which we'll get <laughs> and, into as well, which we'll get into. But the fact that he's like low tide, almost not like I don't mm -hmm. want to say low tide. He's I don't calm say, waters. Calm waters. Thank you. <laughs> I'm like I don't want to say low tide. Like I, that's not the term I'm looking for. That people <laughs> associate that was like the smell, the bad yeah. smell. No, calm waters. That's a much better way to put it. Thank mm -hmm. you, Frankie. You know the fact that he represents the sea when it's in that state, and he's quiet but still just radiates such regality and mm -hmm. such strength and everything. His presence is just. You can feel it as soon as he walks into that, that diner. It's just there. And I also love how they did not hold eye contact once. And mm. it was so much better than if they'd had like a longing stare. Because yes. it's too, it's tragedy. It's too painful. They're, they are not looking at each other because he truly, even in the books, he truly loves Sally. Like he truly loves her. Um, and she, she grows out of her love for him, but their relationship, you, you almost imagine it as this whirlwind of like just passion and love. And they truly found in some term, like a soulmate. And then it had to be like ripped away brutally. And that's portrayed so well in this, mm -hmm. in the acting choices that they made here. Her burning a milkshake, like a trivial, like, milkshake it's it's basically should be thrown in the trash at this point and she burns it and it's supposed to be the thing that you care about most that gets the god's attention but she burns this this like little ruined milkshake and he comes calling with rain pelting down and the oh it's oh, just it was like i said it, poetry unironically cinema like unironically that is cinema yes Oh, it's so good. All of her scenes with Percy were so good. And sh again, showing how neurodivergent children feel in the world and feeling like that is a conversation, again, that my sister has had with my mother where she's like, why do you not like me? And it's not that you don't like, you don't love your child. It's that you have to make these really, really hard decisions that you think is for their betterment that right. they can't understand because they just keep seeing themselves as different and they project that. And it's just, oh my God, they're doing divergent children so well. Divergent. You divergent. forgot the neuro. They're divergent. <laughs> they don't just belong to one faction. They're one faction. <laughs> they belong to all of them. You are, in the black tank top, you are giving Dauntless Triss prior right now. Just saying. <laughs> the tats too. Yeah, oh, where is it? It's on this side. You better still. I have a tattoo placed in the exact same spot that Triss has it placed in the movie. It's not birds, but I have one in the like exact same spot going up the collarbone that and Your she hair's does. pretty blonde right now, so it, it works. I'm getting yep. the vibe. <laughs> Florida sun, Florida sun bleached my hair. <laughs> <laughs> so a few other small things that I liked. This mm. is a totally trivial personal thing, but 
I loved that they had the boys help Annabeth climbing in the underworld. Mm-hmm. As a four foot ten woman, yeah, and Leah Slava Jeffries is tiny. She's short compared to the yep. boys. She could and grow, I'm, but as of right now, yeah, she's thirteen and she's or fourteen and she's small. <laughs> she's small for for her age, yeah, height wise. Um, I mean, she's just pretty tiny in general. Um, yeah, but you know, I really appreciate that little detail because, like, I've been there needing help climbing onto things. The world is not made for us. Never mind the mm-hmm. godly world, the godly realm that they're in. Like, yep. so I love that little detail, you know, and then her swinging around and, like, grabbing Percy's hand and then Grover's and everything, and they pull her up, and I'm just like, oh. They knew what they were doing, that imagery, too, though. I don't want to, I, that Oh, was, that, too, yes. Let's, so, let's address that, first of all. So, I can, I was uh, aghast. I was like, you dare. The audacity. The too. audacity. <laughs> that image in our heads which it's a long way off and it's a long stretch to say that we would ever get to Mark of Athena with this show. But the audacity of putting that imagery in our heads and then like if we ever did get there, that parallel, that gift set, the gift sets that would be made like from season one to now. And I am was so like, oh, I was like, the audacity to make that choice right there. If only we were sponsored by Audacity, the recording program I, I use. That would be fantastic. Are you listening uh, to me? I use you, Audacity, for every single podcast we've recorded. <laughs> uh, I think while we touch on Leah's height, though, because we were just talking about it, I can no longer, I cannot keep quiet about Walker's height on this podcast anymore. Oh now gosh, that we brought height up, he's the throwing. So fast. I saw someone say in a comment on TikTok, they said something along the lines of like, they need to film season two and three back to back or Walker's going to be a six foot seven man by the time he's 15. I know. And it's like, at the rate he's going, which don't get me wrong, boys usually do hit that first, first like true growth spurt around like 14, 15. Girls, girls usually will hit a growth spurt earlier. They'll go at like, 13 14 start growing and then stop around like 17 boys will hit it around like 15 and then have like three more years usually growing so he's right there where he's hit that first growth spurt but he's still got like three years left of growing the kid's 5 8 he was like 4 11 when they first filmed the first season like he grew like Eight inches, just fume while they were filming and after. Like, he's going to be a grown man by the time we get season two He's out. really going to be able to look Aries in the eye by the end he's, of this. He's almost the height. Think of him standing next to Luke, Charlie, in this, uh, the last episode. Charlie Bushnell is 5'9", five, 5'10", five, I believe. Really? Walker's he looks gonna taller be, than that. That's what it said. It could be wrong because it wasn't like, I think it was, may have been an unconfirmed height, but it said he was around there. Walker's going to be able to look Luke in the eye. Percy's going to be able to look Luke in the eye by season three. It's going to be so funny because Charlie's like 19. He's, he, he should be done growing. Katie's doing research. This is 5'9". I'm not buying that. He looks pretty tall and lanky. He's he's very lanky, which I think is what throws me off. <laughs> maybe he isn't as tall as we thought. Or maybe it's just standing next to Walker who hadn't grown much yet. 
Right. I because that makes sense. If Walker was like four eleven, five foot, and then Charlie was five nine, that's about what that height difference would look like to me. True. If I'm picturing it in my head. True. Like he was surrounded by adolescent children. Like he yes. was surrounded by young children during this filming but yeah that's insane to me that Percy might legitimately be able to look Luke in the eye by like season three oh I love it (laughs) I think it's great but anyway back to the back to the episode I I did I also really liked that Percy Grover had a couple scenes where it was just the two of them yes because god have we been missing that I was Grover so happy. was great this episode. Mm-hmm. I love that he hated Severus. Like, mm. he's supposed to be this, like, champion and protector of nature, and then he's just like, screw you, Severus. You ate me. Like- if I got eaten by a dog, I'm sorry. I'm no longer friends with that dog. <laughs> <laughs> like, not even just a bite. That dog chomped him down. Like, he was <laughs> gross. Ah. Uh, it's so good. And I also really like... I re- I do like how they had him like that whole fall into the pit scene. I think that that was done well as well. It 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 looked. I don't know if I like the pacing of the episode, but I like individual portions of different scenes. Like I think how the pit looked and how he was literally it literally looked like gravity just took his feet and was dragging him. I mm-hmm. I liked that detail and I liked the whole like stabbing the sword into the sand and then just trying to grab Grover and it was really desperate and I I thought that that was good acting throughout that whole section. Absolutely. Absolutely. It looked different than I expected than yeah. I envisioned in the book, but it mm-hmm. still looked good. I envisioned in the book almost like a like a cave for some reason like, like a, a chasm dark, like a stone dreary, chasm yeah like a chasm but right. i think that this is this is good uh yeah. the whole underworld was different than i envisioned i'm picturing mm-hmm. the fields of apostle which i don't know if that's how you pronounce it but that's just how i said it in my head when i was younger but i i don't know i don't know it's a it's <laughs> asp h o d e l so it's like how uh, it's like apostle, apostle. It sounds like uh, apostle. Like it does. That's why I hesitate when I say it because I'm like, it's not apostle, but it's it 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 looks like it'd be pronounced similarly, right? Apostle. Anyway, um, that was highly, highly different than it's ever described in the books. Like right. ever described. Like Hazel walks around that field for forty years, uh, a long, long time, longer than that. Like eighty years, she's in those fields. So, and she describes it as like just everyone kind of getting lost in memories. Yes, and like almost like Lotus Casino, where it's like no one is really sure what's happening around them, but like they're still fully formed people, and they're just wandering, lost. I always imagined it like the Fog of Lost Souls and Legend of Korra. Yeah, exactly, kind of like that. Ever since I've so, seen Korra, I associated that. So, like, yeah. it was very different. I like how they started to transform, though. I love that Annabeth was the one to get stuck there. They were trying to throw her. They were still trying to throw people off the scent of Luke. Because it's like, she's got regrets, and then it grabs onto her. And then, as soon as she's gone, Cerberus stops following them. And the boys are like, huh, that's weird that the dog isn't following us anymore. Mm-hmm. Right after Annabeth left. And I'm just in my head, like... 
you sneaky bastards. <laughs> they were trying to, they're still trying to throw people off the scent. They're trying to make this like tricky for people to figure out who's going to be the traitor. Um, right, right. I like those little details because I can pick them out and be like, I know what you're doing because I know who the actual traitor is. I have here Toby and Virginia really read calm, quiet, conversational flashback scene in the script and said we're going for the Emmy nomination. Like, mm-hmm. they really were. Um, you know, so it would technically beautiful. be Emmys because it's a TV show, but like right. Oscar level, Oscar level. Was, I cannot emphasize that enough. That scene is maybe the best acted scene of the series, in my opinion. That and then Walker saying it's okay on the chair, uh, I think, uh, are the two I best acted. the moment when Percy falls back by the edge of the pit and you hear that thud. And you just know. Mm, <laughs> that was hysterical. Oh my gosh. Boys. Grover going full out going to the first stage of grief when he it saw was, that bolt and being like, no, that's not it. Like he was the writing, full out. <laughs> the writing there was perfect because you know what? That's exactly what kids would like. That is how oh, yeah. you would handle that Knowing situation. Knowing kids who know the implications of possessing this item yes. right now. That is exactly Absolutely. how they would react. <laughs> You're going to, like, you're looking at your friend and you're like, neither of us are going to admit this, right? We're both going to be like, that's, is that? No. No, that's not. No. And then, like, take two seconds to really, like, let yourself feel horrified and then be like, yep, that's the bolt. And you're like, damn it. Like, oh, the anxiety. <laughs> I love the design of the Master Bolt, how it wasn't mm. just lightning, but yeah, it's the metal. base of it was metal, a conductor. Like, I love that. And he festus canonically made Zeus's bolt. So it's mm-hmm. like, yes, it would be a mechanical design in there. And he, mm. he's a metal worker. He's a blacksmith. So it's like, yes, that makes total sense. It was great. Of course, Zeus's bolt isn't just like a bolt of actual lightning <laughs> because it's the lightning bolt. But um, yeah, it was, I think that the, like you said, the main issues here with this episode. I think they needed Annabeth's Disobedience School to be its own underworld episode before we find out the truth, sort of. I, I can agree with that, but I don't think, I don't think it needed its own episode. I think it, I think they needed to spend just more time somehow yeah. around all of these facets. And I, I just think they needed one more episode and it would have solved a lot and it could have been cut differently, but... I think all of people's critiques go back to there needing to be more episodes because a lot of people are like, well, sometimes the dialogue is weird or sometimes it feels like... Uh, I still hate this comparison, but a lot of people are like, it's a, it feels more like a kid's show, and it's like, it's it's going to, it's just going to, but we've already ranted about that. It's like, but a lot of the things I'm seeing people gripe about, I'm like, that's fixed if we have either 45-minute episodes for each episode, or 9 to 10 episodes per season, and a lot of people... Not a lot, but I've seen a bunch of people just be like, I don't know if this show was worth it. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. And I'm like, can we just look at this from a different perspective than just like com- constantly comparing to the books and just realize that this is a first season of a show? And if we get a second, the likelihood of maybe getting more episodes or getting a higher runtime is very likely. <laughs> can we all? Right, right. And in that regard, I'm not concerns for the future of the show if we get more seasons i think they'll have more episodes per season Mm -hmm. especially titan's curse onward 
Yeah. And I think that they'll be able to flesh it out more and fix some of the issues that they had during this first season. The people saying that the whole season was bad, I just flat out don't agree with. Oh, no. Gods, no. I think they had issues, but I think they're very, very fixable issues. That being said, we will discuss Disney not having confirmed season two at the end of this episode. It's insane to me that they haven't, but yes, we will discuss that. Yes. For, uh, for one big reason for me that has to do with how fast these kids are growing, mm-hmm. um, they need to get on it. But do you want to move on to episode eight, Frankie? I think I had I had one more thing, but I can't remember what it was. Oh no! Episode <laughs> seven. I think there was like, oh no, what? Oh, was let me it? just say, Walker's face and delivery as he said, "Hold fast, mom," and his face as he threw down that pearl. Some of the best child acting I've ever seen. Small point I'd like to make there. The overlap at the end with Poseidon saying like everything about fate and then when he needs him uh, when he needs me I'll be there and then it just showing like Walker getting ready to Percy getting ready to face off against Ares and Annabeth helping him up from the sand it was really really you you say Percy but I feel like so much of that was just Walker (laughs) I that's why he's so Percy coded like the kid is the kid's real life Percy Jackson. His attitude just is. So it's it's so hard not to be like, that's absolutely something Walker would do. I know. So it's just really but hard to guess. Clear beef that. with Aries feels real. <laughs> I think another thing to talk about in terms of season seven, I think this is, not season seven, episode seven. And I think this is what- um, If only you brought Son of Neptune already hot, damn! <laughs> uh, I think this is what I was forgetting to speak on, but- we mentioned this in our last Zutara episode, our av- in our Avatar podcast, how- Which is not out yet, but it will be out right. by the time we release this, so. Yes. Yeah. The, Weird recording schedule. Anyways. The Percy Jackson show, I believe, and I think this is shown most heavily in episode six and seven. Mm-hmm. The other gripe I have with the show, other than it being- um, them telling a lot instead of showing, not letting these kids figure things out for themselves. That's, that's my biggest thing. That's the biggest thing that I've seen people say, and I agree with it. I think that they are, they are not letting these kids figure out the mysteries around them, which is what would really make this show great in my mind is just giving those kids but again that's a timing issue i think it can be fixed in a season two the other thing that in which is what we talked about the other day in the zutara podcast episode was they are trying they are trying to stray so far from the movies that that they're straying from the things that worked they're straying from the things that worked and they're also straying away from certain aspects of the book they're almost straying away from not just the movies but certain aspects of the book that that I don't think need to be adapted to fit a TV that I think they could have done and they're not because it's got essence of the movie in it as well. Mm-hmm. I think they are ignoring better options for certain scenes and dialogue and things like that because they are trying to keep so far away from the movie. And I yeah. think that's most prevalent in 6 and 7. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. And I think the distancing themselves from the movie thing really bit them in the butt with the Lotus Casino in particular. So I'm losing my voice. I'm all like croaky. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I need water. Talk for a bit, Frankie. I'm getting water. Okay. Absolutely season... Oh my god, I keep saying season... 
absolutely episode six uh, had the worst impact of that with the Lotus Casino. That's when you really start noticing it. You're like, oh, Rick, this wasn't the right choice here. Like, it wasn't. You, you, The movie did it so much better. And Rick, as much as I love him, Rick can be a bit petty. Oh. <laughs> How do you think the blood of Olympus came into fruition? <laughs> he wrote the character Percy Jackson. Like, he absolutely has a bit of that in him to just petty like, king. screw it. Petty King, to be perfectly clear, but also, yeah. how do you think it does bite him in the butt sometimes, where, how do you think the blood of Olympus came to be? Because he was petty about people being so attached to Percy and Annabeth that he yeah. cut them out of the final Heroes of Olympus book, didn't give it the time it needed, it's gone down history as the worst Rick Riordan book. I saw someone say the other day that it's their favorite book out of all of his books, and I just had to not say anything. Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, oh, you are allowed to have your opinion, but I just. There are certain different <laughs> opinions though where you can draw a line and be like, fine, have that opinion, but I cannot interact with you. I like, for, the sake, for the sake of both of us, I cannot interact with you. And that uh, is the so, planet you are living on. <laughs> uh, so I was, uh, it was a TikToker who, who just said it, and I was just like, I'm scrolling. Oh, I've been meaning to ask, how are the TikTokers holding up after the Luke reveal? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> people have been, because um, obviously, during those Luke TikTok edits, so there were people who are like, Luke is like my favorite character. Oh my God, he's such a good friend. Of blah, blah, blah. Luke. People have been playfully gaslighting in the comments. And I, I think this is absolutely the best time you can ever gaslight people, is what I'll say about gaslighting. If you're going to do it, do it when you're trying not to spoil something for someone else. <laughs> like, like, when you're in a comment section of a video, and they're like, and you're trying to do the opposite of spoil, and you're like, that doesn't happen, and you're totally gaslighting a comment section. I find that type hilarious. It's like the and gaslight what, equivalent of a white lie. Yes, it's, it's hilarious every time, and that is what people have been doing to these people who like love Luke they'll be like he's Percy's best friend he even gave him those shoes to wear ha 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 and it's like that sort of like funny gaslighting and so people have been like you guys you guys told me he was good and blah 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 and like so upset they're so upset I've seen so many edits where they're of like song choices for Luke and Percy and juxtaposing them and people have been like I don't care I will be a Luke stan forever and I'm like correct opinion I will also be a Luke stan forever but yeah uh, that but I think that, being uh, the villain can coexist right. Can coexist. <laughs> yes so it's like um it's just it's just funny to me uh it's so good but what were we talking about right before that? Heroes of Olympus. I'm trying to backtrack now. We were on Heroes of Olympus. Oh, Rick being petty. Yes. It's, um, I do. I think the show He made suffered. that tweet, too, like, about, like, oh, you know, not associating with bad movies. And it's, like, people were talking about the Lowe's Casino and if there would be Poker Face and everything. And mm -hmm. people were, like, Rick, please learn the difference between bad movies and good scenes from overall bad movies. Right. And it's like those <laughs> movies, yes, if you compare those movies to the book content, they're atrocious. But if you just want to watch those movies, there are gems in those movies. Like, they handled some things very well, in my opinion. Oh. They're comedically hilarious. Like, it's, it's, like, not even being biased here. If you just sit down and you watch... 
That uh, especially in Katie's opinion, the lightning thief. I I, yes. I think both are great. In Katie's opinion, we'll talk about just the lightning thief here. If you just watch the lightning thief movie and you have no knowledge of the books, you're gonna have a good time, probably. Yes, you're gonna sit there and you're gonna be like. And no, these movies aren't Oscar worthy, but they are, they did some things really well, like the Lotus Casino scene. And so to just completely throw out every aspect of those movies and not pay attention to what was done well about them, I think is maybe a, a pride issue. And I love Rick, but I think it's maybe a, you're, you're biting off your nose to spite your face. He also thing. wrote the character of Annabeth Chase. Just throwing that yep. out there. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I think that that's the main, I think that's the main issues with the show is that they've been a lot doing a lot of telling and not showing with the kids. They haven't left in a lot of the mystery. There hasn't been a lot of tension until the last two episodes, I will say. The relationship last- between Rick and the movies, pride and pettiness. <laughs> <laughs> yes, pride and pettiness. I think that one thing the last two episodes did well was establish that tension that I feel has been missing throughout the entirety of the show. That's another thing I think they missed. There's been very little tension because the kids know everything already. That has been the right. biggest gripe. It's a thing I think that they need to fix the most in a season two, as well as getting like 10 episodes a season. I think it's those mm. are the things that... Those are the biggest things that need to be fixed. All the critiques about it being for kids. It's a kid's show. The dialogue is a little bit for kids. And I'm like, the dialogue's been pretty good to me so far. Yeah, there's some moments that are for kids. But good lord, it's on Disney Plus, people. It's on Disney Plus. (laughs) People don't understand the intended audience because people think everything is catered to them. (sighs) And it's like, no, you're on Disney Plus. Yeah. Hello, everyone. So if you notice that little, I'm probably going to put in a little record scratch. That is because we are recording on a different day. We ran out of time on our initial recording date to also talk about episode eight, aka the season finale of Percy Jackson and the Olympians on Disney+. Plus. However, between (laughs) our two recording dates, because this is just the luck we have, we already mentioned, oh, they haven't even announced season two yet. It was greenlit. It was announced. Woo! Oh my god. Woo! (laughs) I, we literally, the day after we recorded. Yes. For episode seven. It was literally the day after I'm scrolling through TikTok and I see the announcement video and I was like, yep. Mm Mm-hmm. This this is good. This is fine. We're just gonna have to address this. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right for us. We will probably do an episode actually talking about it and like what we want to see in the season two and what they can build on, all of that. But for now we're gonna get back into episode eight. <laughs> that is right. So to start things off, I loved that they gave Luke a parallel opening narration. To emphasize how he and Percy are foils. That, when I heard his voice start saying those words, I was like, shooketh. I mean, I... I could have cried. I, yes. I was like, I see what you are doing. It is brilliant. I wouldn't have thought of that. It is so simple, but so effective. And brilliant choice. That's all I can say. as, As soon as they did it, two things here. As soon as they did it, my very first thought was, the Percy Jackson Lightning Thief musical. Percy has a song called Good Kid. Amazing song. And then Luke at the end has a Good Kid reprise. Yes. And it was so reminiscent of that. And I just thought of that throughout that whole opening dialogue. I was like, oh my 
God, the because everyone praises the musical for how they handled certain things and and Luke especially and the fact that I really heavily think that this was influenced a little bit on how they paralleled it in the musical because it was just so like reminiscent of that. It's just so and interesting then, to me that we were talking about how they were so distant from the good parts of the movie like they wanted to not associate with the movie at mm-hmm. all to the point where they strayed away from the parts that worked like the Lotus Casino but yep. then they embraced the musical. It was such a good choice and then the other thing that I thought of was I saw a lot of people upset um around episode two that we didn't get to see Luke training Percy it is actually a big thing in the books it's not something you would lightly skip over because it sets up Luke is the greatest swordsman at camp until Percy Jackson and it's Luke is the greatest swordsman in 300 years let's actually go a step above camp in 300 years it is stated plainly in the book Luke is the best swordsman until again Percy and so it's a really in that first book Luke training Percy with to sword fight who would win Luke or Zorro mm -hmm. (laughs) Zorro but I will give Zorro that one (laughs) but uh but it was really setting up their foil in the books for, like, these two characters. And so a lot of people were upset initially when they cut it from, or what people presumed was they cut that from episode two. They are like, that's a really big deal. You can't really cut the Luke Percy sword fighting scene in episode two. And I agreed a little bit. Oh, I think it was the perfect choice to wait until here. I think, oh, and I saw so many people eating their words a little bit and being like, I spoke too soon. This is perfect that they yes. overlaid it with the Ares fight scene on the episode where Luke will betray him. Directly paralleling. Almost like how um this is like not similar at all, but it's the same narrative idea where putting Greta Gerwig's 2019 Little Women out of Order, which of course I'm gonna bring up Little yeah. Women. It's me. However, I love that movie. Oh my goodness. <laughs> However, them setting up the duo plot line going back and forth. So the parallel of the two times Beth gets sick, spoiler alert, the second time being when she dies mm, works yeah. so brilliantly. And it's almost like that, like using taking using flashbacks and taking the narrative out of linear order. To your benefit mm-hmm. to form foils and parallels and all that good juicy narrative stuff. That's how you do flashbacks. Yes. A lot of people, flashbacks can either be extremely hit or extremely missed. Mm. There's not really an in-between with flashbacks, I've found. They either work really, really well to help further your point of a story Or they are a detriment to your story. There isn't really a middle ground with flashbacks most of the time. This was done so well. Especially, it's the episode where Luke betrays him. But due to this flashback and just all we have, they've done so well with Luke Estellan, you clearly know that Luke does not think of this as a betrayal because of how well they have handled this. He's He almost feels betrayed by Annabeth, by Percy, because he's like, why can't you see? Which we can get into this later when we get more into the final few scenes, but even in that flashback of them sword fighting, Luke is almost, grooming is a heavy word. I don't like using it. Manipulating. But in a sense, yeah, 
or not even manipulating the, necessarily oh, cursing. What would the word be? Because, because he's not because manipulating. Because there's that recruiting he is element. The truth. Right. He's speaking what he feels is the truth, and he is speaking something Percy feels is true. So it's not manipulating. Percy agrees with Luke when Luke is speaking to him about how to deal with the gods. You know, there's the whole spider metaphor, and which lays a little bit into them setting the groundwork for Luke maybe not being all there <laughs> mentally entirely, just that whole spider conversation. But it's not manipulation, because Luke isn't lying, and he's not saying anything Percy doesn't already agree with a little bit. So it's just it's just a really good conversation. He's setting Percy up for the recruitment, but I can't even go as far to say that it's manipulation in that moment. Right. Right. Yeah, I don't know what the words would be. It's he is aware of what he's doing and trying to influence him, but he's yeah. not there isn't that deception element where he's using lies to do it to call it manipulation. He's very cleverly playing on thoughts and emotions that are already there. And it's not exactly it's not like what Kronos did with Luke. No. Which we haven't seen the full scope of they give hints. There is a different Kronos kind of power dynamic there. Obviously, yes. And they in this first season, they have given hints that Luke is being manipulated, that he's almost being bullied into this a little bit by Kronos. We see it in the um, dream sequence mm -hmm. of the headmaster as Kronos. And we see it a little bit in how even Percy says it at the end of, like, this is not you. Luke is, and in the books, which they will obviously get to in further seasons, um, it is revealed just how heavily the manipulation runs through Luke as you get further into the books and just how broken he was and how much someone took advantage of that. And of that vulnerability. By the Titan's Curse, yes, by the Titan's Curse, spoilers for the books, but we've said it before, you should really only be listening to this if you don't mind spoilers or if you've already read them, but right. by the end of Titan's Curse, Luke is begging Talia to save him almost which they don't realize until the battle of the labyrinth but by the end of titan's curse luke is begging talia to join his side so that he does not have to do something that he thinks of as unthinkable and let Kronos inhabit him he knows it's wrong at that point but he is so deeply entrenched in this and he has been manipulated so thoroughly that he no longer can see a way out and they are doing such a good job of laying that groundwork right with him right and just that that line like you're learning fast like this that recruitment element that, that we've been talking about that yeah. is so poignant and so well realized and then the spider allegory you never want to be small and scary at the same time you don't want there to be a magnitude of you either you don't want a multitude of spiders coming after you if it's one spider you can deal with it and that's you don't, to, you don't want yes that's the allegory yeah it's so good and that's what luke is trying to get he wants all the demigods to rise up to defeat the gods but he's alone yeah and it's tragic. I'll say this again about Luke Costello. He almost became apathetic to other demigods by the end of the series just due to everything we've already spoken on with Kronos in his relationship. He never once though wants to kill demigods themselves. He does not have a disregard for demigod lives. He finds it a necessary evil by the end of the series specifically I would say. Mm. But he never... His war is not and has never been with the other demigod children. He almost is angry at them for not seeing what he thinks of as an awful 
almost government system. Injustice. Yes, an awful injustice. He's almost angry at them for not fighting against what he sees to be a horrible, horrible power dynamic. And it causes him not to see the awful power dynamic that he has then set himself into with Kronos. But it's just, ugh, Lucas Dellen. I've seen so many TikTok edits, Katie, to go back to the TikTok <laughs> edits, where so many people again are like, I'm standing by him. I'm standing. And I'm like, yeah, you just, there's something about him. And then I've seen some people be like, I promise I'm not a Luke stan. But, and I'm like, no, no, be one. Be one. Like, <laughs> right. Be one. He is one of the most well-written, well-developed antagonists of just, in all of literature. I'm, I'm, I don't even feel like I'm making, like, I'm not even being hyperbolic there. I feel like when I say that, like, he's just, Rick handled him so well, and they are laying the groundwork here. And that is, that's just all in that first fight, fight scene, that first scene of this episode, they did so well paralleling it with you didn't ask to be a half-blood and just and again I back to the spider allegory I really like that I do like that that's how they um showed that Annabeth was scared of spiders because everyone was like we didn't get to see it in the tunnel of love scene the mechanical spiders didn't go after her and I get that one being a small gripe but there was an interview with Rick and he said we couldn't do it without it being completely out of place in that entire episode it just didn't look right and so I think that this was a good compromise. Yeah. Being like, we're still going to mention it. We're going to mention it, yeah. but we can't have giant mechanical spiders go after Annabeth in the Tunnel of Love this time. It's not going to work also, out just, well. just, like, the way it was set up with the lights and everything and the, I don't know, and it was, like, rushing downhill and everything at the part when the spiders were yeah. really coming out. Like, I don't, but they've been walking across the water, like. Right. <laughs> like, I like, don't even get how that would have worked. There would have been too much going on. We would have seen Annabeth's fear for like two seconds before the boat tipped over, and then Percy's using his power, and then they're waking up. Right, right. And then would he then be like, Annabeth, are you scared of spiders? You're not going to be, he's right, you're not going to be thinking about it. And there's other times in the series where, you know, it will come up mm -hmm. in the show. Yeah, so I, I, I like that they gave a little nod to it through using the allegory of spiders with Luke. Um... I'm happy they did something with it, but I, I do agree that, that, you know, I think it was a good compromise. Yeah, me too. Of how to bring up the spider thing. But that being said, <sighs> we have been recording for almost 15 minutes and we have to get to the Aries fight. We have to get to the Aries fight. I have mixed feelings about this Aries fight. <laughs> okay, go on. I really, really like it in terms of the choreography, in terms of, like, the epic scale that they showed for it. However, I think that Percy does not beat Aries easily by any means in the books. No. Um, a lot of people joke. A lot of people joke that, like, Percy kicks Aries' butt at 12. He beats Aries at 12. He does not kick his butt right. at 12. He, go he comes very close to dying in that chapter fighting Ares. And I think that they could have had Ares. He like, Percy comes out of that without much of even like a scratch on him. He gets thrown around a couple times. I think that what should have happened, because Ares is a little bit of a dumbass, <laughs> we're being totally honest, even in the books, I... I would have liked to see Ares just fully wreck Percy a little bit and then maybe toss him towards the water and then Percy is in the water and like has mm. a moment because I think that it was a little quick. It was and maybe they did like have oh, him a body slam one. him. 
why didn't they show the ramifications of that? Like, they had the right. idea there. And I love that. I love that it wasn't just swordplay. Like, you got a pro wrestler to play Ares. Right. Hell yeah. Let's have a body slam Percy into body the freaking slam. ground. But body slam him to the point where it's believable. Because when I was watching that body slam, I was like, I know that you have to take it a little bit easy on when you're filming with kids, but I was like, there's a cushion under there. Like, it looked like his body did not hit, you know what I mean? Like, it looked like the impact was somehow absorbed into Walker's body, and I was like, that something about that didn't look real to me. I was like, there was no, his bones are broken, and I don't see that right now. If you are 12 and you have a, even though you're demigods and you have a little bit of a higher, um, um, constitution, let's say, let's use a D&D term, even if you have, like, a higher constitution stat, if you're being body slammed by the god of war, your ribs are breaking. Yes! Your your ribs are, and that would have been a good time to introduce ambrosia or something afterwards. Oh, maybe, if Annabeth had packed it. Annabeth being like, take some ambrosia, your ribs are broken, and Percy's like, yeah, and he's got, like, a collapsed lung, I don't know. He needed to be a little bit more hurt by the end of that yeah. fight, in my opinion. And it needed to be a little longer and a little bit and more th- gruesome. That's what I was opinion. going to say. It's a time thing. Had they not had to yeah. combine it into this final episode, I think we would have gotten a longer fight. I think they would have... Yeah. yeah. They did what they could with the runtime they were given. Because I really like the choreography. Like, I love Percy commanding the water. And that yes. way they, they showed that so well. I just think Ares went down a little easily. I love Annabeth's like, I, reaction. I think- you can literally see. Like, we always come back to that comment where Annabeth says in Mark of I believe, that she had a crush on him since she was 12 years old. Yeah. You can see that crush increasing in her eyes as he beat Ares and just pure mm-hmm. admiration. And I loved it. Yeah. I, I loved, that's why I said I had mixed feelings because I really like most of the, I like how they shot the scene. I like how, I like Percy's, that whole moment with the water, I thought they did really, really well. His Walker's acting, of course, was really well done. The only thing is I was just like, throughout the, by the end of the scene, I was like, ooh, Ares went down a little easy. That's a little bit too easy for the God of War. But I'll digress on that point. Overall, I did really, really appreciate how that scene looked. And Mm. To go back to, I mean, I'm going to bring up Zutara. We're going to go back to, we're going to go to the Zutara point. We're going right back now. to our roots. That is our roots. Yeah. As you said, every time they show Annabeth's face, it's also, though, like, even though you can see the crush forming a little bit more, it's also a little bit of when Zuko realizes Katara can blood. Oh, yes. And it's like, oh, oh wow. I didn't, shit. I, didn't, I didn't know you, I didn't know you had it in you like that. What are you doing? Never before was he more secure and happy with his decision to change sides than when he saw Katara just fall out. Take that man down. (laughs) It was so good. And then, because you can see it with Annabeth a little bit of like, a little bit of like, oh, wow, I didn't, he's a son of Poseidon. Like, we've known this, but like, who, until you see someone create a tidal wave out of pure rage, you don't really realize they're the son of Poseidon. Yeah, yeah. Like, especially because most of the demigod kids have very small attributes of their parents. Like, maybe Apollo children have the gift of, like, music, and they can do, like, the curses with music, or, like, Demeter children can um, make plants grow. 
but very small attributes. So you're thinking with the son of Poseidon, maybe if you're Annabeth, like, okay, maybe he can like breathe underwater. Maybe he can heal himself with water. You're going through like the smaller motions. You're not completely thinking, no, he has the power of a god right now. He's a waterbender. <laughs> He's a legitimate waterbender. And I'm a little bit scared. Oh my goodness. Like, she was very glad that she was not the one in the prophecy betraying him at that moment. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah, no. So I, th- I, the Aries fight scene also in the trailer. In the trailer with the two quick cuts, when I was watching it, I remember very vividly that being my favorite part in the trailer and rewatching that those two quick seconds over and over again because you can just feel like uh, those uh, shots of the song going in the background, the Riptide song, yes. yeah. Hit different. How they how they shot it. Walker's face riptide in the background. You can you could feel almost the legacy of Percy Jackson to me in that scene specifically in the trailer and what they were trying to do. And I think for the most part they matched that energy in the actual scene. Somehow the trailer almost reached more emotional heights than the actual show did, which happens. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Which happens a lot. Very similar to how, like, I'll cry more at reactors watching parts of a movie than to the movie itself. Yeah. It's that kind of a thing. It's something about the simplified version. However, that simplified version showing the absolute best sequences yeah. that they're trying to yeah. do, that st- strikes you so hard. Oh. Now, and then, But I think that they... And now we have Percy going up to Olympus, and there's that line, I'm done running from monsters, and that just broke- And with putting the necklace! Oh my gosh, we'll talk about that, but that monster line just broke me, knowing what Rick does to him in the future. Mm Mm-hmm. It's- (sighs) Percy is such a unique character, because most of the time, when you have an overpowered protagonist, they feel like- scapegoat they feel like maybe a mary sue maybe a gary sue they feel i don't know when you usually when you have an overpowered protagonist who has to go through multiple quests and multiple quests and multiple quests and there's never any end you kind of get sick of it you you kind of stop having you stop having empathy for that character and you you also are just like, ugh, it doesn't his power scale. It's like, oh, you did this just to give him so many powers and and it doesn't feel realistic. Percy is such a unique character in the fact that you have more empathy for him as he continues to go through quests and his power scale feels so earned and realistic mm. of like, he's an overpowered character that in media, as we've talked about, has become iconic for he can beat most of your favorite characters in a fight. Hands down, could do it. But it feels, it doesn't feel like too much. It just feels like, no, this is this is what he has become right. almost. And so knowing what he goes through in the future, as you said, and how it's going to shape him. Uh, if you want to talk about Zutara and what <laughs> Zuko realized Katara can do, let's talk about Percy and Annabeth and Atlas. Oh, like, yeah. Lord. Oh, yeah. It's just so good. And then you have, you know, the fact that, like, yes, Percy has immense power, but because it's earned, he's not, and I hate these terms, but he's not what people would call a Gary Stu. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really, 
Yeah. I think those terms have their place, but I think they're grossly misused the vast majority of the time. Mm-hmm. However, what people would call a Gary Stu, that is not Percy. He's never been accused of that. And for a reason, because of that element of he feels like he earned it that you oh, mentioned. Yeah. It didn't come easy. It didn't come immediately to him. That's another critique I've seen some people have with the show. Is they're like, it feels like things aren't being earned. And I can see that. I can see that to an extent. Yeah. To an extent, I can see where that critique is coming from. Sometimes I'm like, people, you're taking it a little too far with that one. Because they'll bring up instances that I'm like... Go reread the books type thing, or you gotta realize yeah, this is a different medium. But I can see some of the critique. He earns it, but he also catches on pretty quickly. And that's mm-hmm. what people are forgetting. He's not a clumsy, you know, this isn't a over a vast amount of time Mulan training I'll make a man out of you kind of transformation no. here. He has innate instincts. Yes, yes, as a demigod. Like, and which and I just wish they'd highlighted a bit more, but and mm-hmm. a son of Poseidon that's part of his legacy, right? I do wish they'd highlighted that a little bit more in the first couple episodes of being like, uh, you are innately wired different, almost like they do in the movie. I'm just gonna go back to the movie, the first movie where Grover's showing Percy around camp and is like, you're a demigod, you're, you're hardwired for ancient, for Greek. ancient Greek, yeah, you're hardwired for battle, that's why you have ADHD. They did explain like, that they, well in the movie, and it. And in the movie, that's why it made sense a little bit more when all of a sudden you're like, like, capture the flag. Percy's all of a sudden really good after he gets in the water. And most people are like, yeah, they they did that. That's another thing they did well in the movie. Right. It's like making it understandable as to why he is all of a sudden defeating so many monsters after like three days of training. And I, it's something that flowed well. I think that's another thing from the movie they could have taken and put into this, just to uh, hammer it home. However, that's not like that's not one of my real critiques. Um, that's just cr- a critique I've seen. Right, right. And then he goes up to Olympus. Now, I love that the beads. Oh, we have to talk. Oh about yes. The beads. Oh my god, the tenderness of that moment, the gentleness, and just the way he reaches down and like touches the beads after she puts them on him i was like if that is not stop looking at her if that is not his eyes follow her the whole time guess if that is not Mm -hmm. true love i don't know what is like they're doing so good they're doing so good um building this up in a tv show way because of the book you have percy's insight and so you're like i'm blushing and this is a little embarrassing and you have like percy's insight in a book where he get you where you can be like Okay, I know where they're going with this, but they're still just going to set them up as really good friends first, blah, blah, blah. In a TV show, as I've already stated, it's easier to show a crush. Like, it's just, it's more prevalent. It's much more prevalent that people are going to see interactions like this and immediately be like, oh, they're going to set them up together and they like each other just because of how the medium is different. In a book, it's harder, it's, it's easier to hide that. In a TV show, when you have scenes like that, it just makes it so clear what's going to happen. And it, oh, it just puts their crushes on display. It's so flippin' cute. Again, how his eyes just follow her and hold her as she ties it around his neck. It's so intimate. It was so well done. Oh my god. Yes. And then Olympus itself was beautiful. The design, right Mm. out of how I imagined it in the books. And then he meets Zeus. Now, R.I.P. Lance, Lance Reddick. Reddick. <laughs> we could not have said that more in sync, but it needs to be said. 
Um, mm-hmm. Such a tragedy. And he yeah. just had the most phenomenal presence as Zeus. His line delivery, the look in his eyes was literally electric. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you felt the danger. Such a tragedy as watching oh. because you're watching and he's doing such immediately such a phenomenal mm-hmm. job. And not to take away from his death being a tragedy, obviously, all around. But also when you're watching, you're like, oh, they're not going to be able to replace I don't know how they this. Get anyone that, yeah. can, that can match this energy. I've seen some people say like Idris Elba, but obviously, first and know. foremost, you know, it's about his loss as a human being. Which, mm-hmm. But as fans, we don't know him as a human being. It's hard to connect to that. Right. What we see of him, what we can connect to is the loss of his performance as this character. And it is yeah. just like, like I said, I don't know how they're going to replace him. His presence. Oh. And I haven't seen him in many other things. Um, I know that he is very talented, very famous actor. I just personally have not seen him in many projects. I've never seen him. I'm, um, I've heard him in Legend of Vox Machina. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Her, I knew he was in that. But you don't see his presence right. through, that, through an animated character. You can feel it in his yeah. voice. but. You don't see the presence. Here... The visual presence is missing. Yes. Here, immediately, as you said, oh my god, he's dripping with a command of, like... Similar to how we said Poseidon, his voice is so quiet but so commanding. They're foiled as brothers, like, in their own way. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. The parallel there, the contrast. It was so well done. His lines to Percy, that whole scene was a masterclass. It was so well done, especially when you throw Toby Stevens in the mix. Yes. Later on in that scene. But Percy and Zeus's conversation, Percy Jackson, you insolent child. I, we know he's insolent. We know he doesn't care. But I'm also sitting there like, oh my god, stop. 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 You're going to get electrocuted. Stop talking to the king of the gods with, like, disrespect. You are so lucky right now. He's given you, like, three chances to walk away. Take one of the chances. You're literally just shouting at your screen like, Percy, Percy, take one of the chances and walk away. Living up to the (laughs) impertinent title. That's all I can say. Oh, yeah. And then I love this little Uh, moment. Zeus is pride. Ugh. Because he's just like, sorry, you can go. I love this little moment where Zeus says, you all failed. Like, he says you failed, but it's a collective. You all failed, as in your quest group. And then Percy, in mm-hmm. return, says, I did. Once again, just like for the Medusa head situation, his fatal flaw is showing, and he's taking all the blame for his friends. And that is such brilliant writing. I love that. It's so subtle. It's- just in, mm. you know, having the knowledge of the English language to realize that Zeus means a collective you. And Percy making it singular, which Sally says, you are singular, you know, and um, Percy already taking on that mantle of a hero, taking responsibility and saying, I did. This is on me. Mm -hmm. It's it's also, ugh, they have been doing Fatal Flaws so well this season setting up. Yes. And Zeus's pride has always been one of the biggest themes throughout all Greek mythology, all the gods' prides, but especially Zeus. Zeus is a awful, awful, awful being in Greek mythology. Yeah. Uh, which some, which Rick tones down. You wouldn't be able to Just tell that he's still person, awful in this. Forget but, being a manipulator and a rapist um, and mm-hmm. of 
you know, how many women, I don't even want to know. Mm-hmm. Womanizer. Yeah. God. That's not even womanizer, though, because that's still, like, that's just, like, a... I don't even know how to describe what Zeus I is. I know. It's just it's disgusting. disgusting. But-, but even beyond that, just his his countenance, almost, as a person, mm-hmm. his, like you said, his pride, his selfishness, his sense, his he- ego... His arrogance. He won't stop the war because of his pride, even though he now has the bolt. He won't stop this war. Even this dumbed-down version of of Zeus, because obviously Rick is not going to make Zeus, as we've said, a rapist. Oh, no, they're not talking about that. Womanizer the closest I can come. Yeah. Obviously, they're not doing that in a kid's version. They never have. Rick has never done that in his books. He he tones the gods down to make them age-appropriate while still making them just bad. Right. Uh, so, but, so even though this version of Zeus is not that completely awful version, his pride is still so intense to the point that he is, he is about to bring the whole country, to, the whole, no, I will say country, because we've learned there are other pantheons still existent, but his Greek corner of the world to full-fledged war mm-hmm. <laughs> over something that he now knows is not Poseidon's fault, and it's like, oh, Oh my god, and he would have totally just done it if Poseidon hadn't come and done what he'd done, because he's so prideful, and his ego, as you said, is the king of the gods. None shall stand against him. Oh my god, that scene, though, as soon as Toby Stevens enters, oh my oh god, my they gosh. did so well. They did so they well. They really did. Oh they my really god, did. they did so well. Him... His scene with Walker, first of all, him yielding to Zeus, them speaking ancient Greek, them calling a council. You can see the brother, you can see their brothers. Yeah. Like, in that scene, how they are speaking each other with animosity. It's the type of animosity you literally can only get when you're pissed off at your sibling. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm serious. We both have siblings. Oh, yeah. You can feel the brotherly connection in how they are speaking to each other. Like, I may hate you half the time, but we still have a mutual understanding of some things of this world. And you can just... It's so well done. Yeah. They really captured that. Um, and this is where, like, people say, oh, you know, like, how can you have people... Of- First of all, there's all sorts of different family situations where people of... You know, in this case, different races who are so visually different mm-hmm. playing siblings. And it's like, like I said, first of all, there's all sorts of family situations. People are adopted and raised together, etc. Mm-hmm. Mixed families, etc., etc. But also, in terms of acting... They're gods. They're gods. <laughs> Thank you. Like, and it's about... They can change their form. It's about the bond and the dynamic there. And they capture that so well Mm -hmm. so very well this is out of all the times when you do casting and it's like oh but how do these people um how would that work literally pop out of her freaking head like give me a goddamn break this is greek mythology i get it i get it in some arguments where it's like no i agree they're saying they're full-blooded siblings and that that can't fully be and like uh, something like, trying to be realistic or historical or you right. know along those lines like there's a place for accuracy <laughs> like but this is like i said this is greek they mythology greek this is ridiculous gods they can literally like aphrodite was born because testicles got dropped into the ocean <laughs> and she was spawned from that like, that is, like, like, the gods and how they're born is bonkers. Their skin color is the last, the last thing, thing that I'm should matter. About. Absolutely. 
absolutely the last. They're not even human genetics don't even work the same way it does for humans with them. I was gonna say, the genetics, Rick addresses this in the books. It's why demigod children can date even though they're technically siblings. And it's because- Or related. related. But they're technically related. And it's because the- Just not in the same cabin. Mm Mm-hmm. The god's genes- are fundamentally different from human genes and don't really play a role in the kids. Like, somehow, Rick explains it in in Blood of... Uh, not Blood of Olympus. In um, Battle of the Labyrinth, he explains it, and I can't quote it Probably exactly, but he to address this. it before he puts Percy oh, and Annabeth yeah. together in Absolutely. the final book. Absolutely, like, why? Just laying the groundwork here, like, uh, throwing it all out there, like, yes... From oh, different yeah. cabins, this is appropriate. I'm establishing that for what I'm planning to do in Last Olympian. That's absolutely why. <laughs> so no one has it's questions. Also, <laughs> right. So it's like, it's fine. It's just, uh, yeah. But anyway, let's go back to the scene when Percy talks to his father. Oh, oh my god. The acting. The acting! The acting! Toby Stevens, I love him so much. I know, I know. Him, again, not even saying anything by the end when Percy says, do you ever dream of mom? And he doesn't answer, he just holds the face of his son in his eyes. His eyes, his facial acting is so good! Mm Mm-hmm. He doesn't even answer him because he doesn't need to. And he also can't answer him because if he answers him, he's admitting it even to himself that he's still is completely in love with this woman. So many people are asking the question. I think we addressed this in the last episode. I mean, the last recording um, part of this we yeah. recorded. But they need to make Paul Blofist, like, the absolute best man in the world. Because so many people are like, how are you supposed to get me to not ship Post Alley after, like, all of these scenes <laughs> with them? It's like, because of how well they're doing Poseidon, I've seen so many people be like, I cannot believe this show is turning me into po- a post-Sally shipper. <laughs> they need to make Paul Blofus the absolute best. And the funniest running joke, Katie, I will tell you, I'll, I'll give you the insider like TikTok. thing here because, not TikTok, it's um, so it's, it's a black sales okay. reference and it's hilarious and I'll explain it to you um, and the people listening. People are like, the only person they can get to cast as B- Paul Blofus now is Luke Arnold. Luke Arnold was Toby Stevens' foil in Black Sail. Okay. He played he played Long John Silver okay. to Toby Stevens' Captain Flint. Extremely good-looking man, extremely charismatic, an amazing, amazing, amazing actor. Um, and so, and he would be the age of Paul. Like, he would be, he's in mm. his middle um, ages now. And so when I first saw people commenting that under post, they're like, Luke Arnold is the only option. Multiple people running with that joke but being dead serious. I lost it. I was like, yeah, no, they need to now make this happen. happen. I love it. I love uh, it. Let's talk about when Percy comes back to camp. First of all, that second person best hug. The camp is shipping them already. Like, let's be perfectly clear. Yeah. Like, this is laying the groundwork for that moment with the chariot race, that sea of monsters, like those little moments. Oh, I was thinking of Battle of the Labyrinth after he comes back from Calypso. That's Island. even building on it more. Yeah. But I was thinking of that yeah. little sea of monsters moment coming up next mm-hmm. where, like, you know, yeah. they win and he plants a little kiss on her cheek or she plays. Plants a kiss on. She plants yes, a on kiss. She, excuse mm-hmm. me. And the camp goes wild. Like, <laughs> oh goodness, it's too cute. Um, uh, how they've done these scenes? They really only had, if you think about it, like three big scenes this episode. 
like three big scenes. That's the first scene with the Luke slash Ares fight paralleling. That's the second scene at Olympus, and it's this final third section, which we'll eventually get to with Luke. They only had three real scenes, really big scenes in this episode. It worked really well. Yeah. It's what saved the end for yeah. me. Yeah, no, agreed. Three-act structure within an episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, can we get to the moment of the betrayal and Charlie's acting there? Because, uh. holy crap, I just, the moment Percy realizes the change in his expression, the look in his eyes, I was shook. And I've read these books since I was, like, 10. I mean, like, it got me. I was like, mm-hmm. he feels dangerous he feels misguided he feels lost he feels just like all of those many things that luke is charlie captured in that change of expression that change of expression and the line of i didn't know you'd give them to grover the way to he said it the delivery the delivery yes oh my gods it was cold and calculated yes. while also being uh remorseful but not remorseful Remorseful in the way that Luke is like, I didn't want this to Remorseful go this Remorseful in regards to the impact he's seeing it's had, but mm-hmm. not regretful. Yes. It's, and, and with, before even we get there, Annabeth, during that hug, being like, look, have you seen her yet? I think that's when Annabeth really realized she couldn't, like, put it off any longer. It's Luke. When she saw that Clarice was still there. I think that's her little message to Percy, and they're both talking to Luke, and I think Annabeth is realizing, I, I, I have to confront this and put the cap on and, and follow them mm-hmm. and see if if my gut feeling mm-hmm. is right. She followed for and a knowing reason. she was there for all that, mm-hmm. She didn't, why would she have put the cap why? on and followed she them didn't if she hadn't know figured it out? already and was coming to terms with it already, why would she have followed? And there's a little bit of unspoken communication there with her and Percy as well. As in, like, because he figures it out as well. He knows by the time they get to where they are in the forest, because he has to confront Luke about it. He he is the one who brings this up. And so it's just, I think there was just communication there between he and Annabeth, a silent communication. And then when they finally get there, and she has to watch Luke say all this, and Luke, ugh, it was such good acting. Luke saying, I came here to recruit. And again, Charlie's delivery of these lines is so good. I cannot explain like what they made me feel and it's just the tragedy wrapping around mm-hmm. it and it's just oh and then the very end was so nostalgic so sweet with them meeting around Sally's tree and making that pact and first of all the fact they plug disney world because it's on disney plus plug disney <laughs> classic um but uh. the way they turned that like what would normally be like an eye-rolling, like, you know, of course mm-hmm. they did that moment into Percy smiling at her and saying, just be a kid. Mm-hmm. And that paralleling earlier in the episode when Annabeth says, and you thought you were just a kid. Yeah. Like, oh. I, I also, just to talk on it a little bit more with Luke, by the end of that scene, Luke and Percy, that fight, oh, they did so good. They did so good. The fireworks going off in the background, the two of them fighting. Luke cutting Percy. Yeah. And, I mean, Percy, Percy cutting Luke first, immediately apologizing because he says, this isn't you, this is about your dad, and that's what triggers Luke. He wasn't going to fight Percy until then. He was actively like, I'm not going to fight you until Percy brings up Hermes, triggers Luke. Luke starts fighting. Percy strikes Luke 
first, which they're setting up the parallel there of the swordsmanship, apologizes, and then Luke, in rage, cuts him back, and then goes to actually strike him. I don't, I absolutely don't think to kill him. I saw a lot of people being like, I can't believe he was about to kill him. I'm like, he wasn't. He was absolutely about to, like, knock him out or something, and then drag him through that portal. And then Annabeth coming out, and you can see that Luke knows there's so much on Charlie's face. He's such a good actor. You can see that Luke knows that Annabeth feels betrayed immediately, but also you can see that Luke feels completely betrayed because she has just chosen Percy over him. Right. And he runs through the portal, and it's just... I can't get over the acting of all of them. It the was look on Leah's face up. as the fireworks are going off behind her and she draws that dagger. That shot is imprinted in my brain. <sighs> and if there's one thing I wish they would have done, they didn't have time. I understand this was also a time restraint. And I know they will obviously get into it more in season two in depth. I wish there had been a scene with instead of... with at, Instead of Leah being immediately, not Leah, Annabeth being immediately, like, smiling at Talia's tree and, like, talking about, oh, yeah, I'm going to visit my dad and kind of being carefree. I wish that he'd almost come up upon her when she was kind of, like, really upset. And grieving. And you know why. Yeah, and you know why. And then maybe his presence makes her be like, well, I'm going with my dad. And she starts to get a little bit more hopeful as she's talking to Percy about it. I wish they, even if there were time constraints, I think they could have done that in a subtle way of just her grieving at the tree for a little bit. And you would know why. You would pick up on it. She doesn't need a monologue about how she's just lost Luke. (laughs) So I do wish they'd done that. But I I understand time restraints. And I also understand that they're going to be getting into that a lot in season two. Almost definitely. Oh, yeah. And then that final hug between the three of them. So... Flipping cute. And the best oh, hair in the final scene. Can we shout that out? Ah, so pretty. So oh my god. The braids and those little twists. like Or bigger braids. Like, oh, I loved it. So pretty. I love Percy saying, let's promise to all meet up here next year. Grover's going to be in a wedding dress next year, <laughs> my guy. He's, he's going to be gone. You're going to have to go find him. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Everyone's been like, Aryan, get your wedding dress ready. Oh, <laughs> uh, the memes. And you know, and then- you know that he is so game for it. He's excited, mm-hmm. that kid. Have you seen the video where he's like, oh, I didn't see you there. <laughs> They're filming behind the scenes. Like, <laughs> he's so goofy. He is going to be all about it. Uh-huh. Those final few scenes, those final few moments as well of... Percy going to hug his mom, and then you just, oh my god, her acting. You saw the switch in her face. It's almost like she went dead behind the yes. eyes, and then Chrono shows up. He freaking, it's like if you went to the devil, and you challenged the devil, which it specifically says in the Bible never to do, never mm-hmm. to let Satan enter your 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 home, your heart, never to let Satan have that breach right. to get to you. It's almost like Percy read that in a Greek mythology context and said, I can't read. And <laughs> behind him. And freaking absolutely taunts Kronos. It's almost one thing to taunt Zeus even. It's just another thing to taunt this entity that is just 
almost pure evil and oh my god taunts him and then those last few words of dialogue by walker as they're walking out the door and locking it and it's just perfect book representation Mm -hmm. this episode is great I loved it. We ended off on a high note. The three-act structure worked so well. Really quickly before we have to go, Katie, or you have to go, do you want to just shout out, we don't even have to get into reasons why, because we've talked about each episode individually on the podcast house, but do we want to say our least favorite and our favorite episodes of the season? Uh, Sure. My least favorite is probably still six, and my favorite Mm, is either a tie with five or eight. Mm, I agree. Six is absolutely my least favorite. My favorite, I also think I agree... I think that it is eight. I also really, really liked episode two. Yeah, I was going to say, it's hard not to include the premiere into this. I really liked episode two, and I really did like how they did episode eight. So, yeah. All right. Well, that is all we have for you today. I have to go to work. I will get in big trouble if I'm late. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. We are so excited, guys. And without further ado... Happy Percival shipping! Happy Percival shipping! Bye! Bye.